Nice to have Sandy back. Hi, Sandy. Looks pretty today. And Jennifer, if I keep saying your name, I'll remember it. That's why I'm one of the reasons why I'm doing it. And Althea. And anybody else who's visiting here today, our church family, you're welcome. Today we're going to go into, we're going to jump right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Now that's a bit tricky because there's a lot of material that Jesus has shared before we get to the passage that we're dealing with today. But I think we can do it. So that's in the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament. And chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be in chapter 6. So that will start on page... Page 1505. And today we're going to talk about worry, anxiety, which of course is not really an issue for anybody here, right? With meteorites exploding over central Russia, with asteroids just missing our planet, there are things to be concerned about. Let's, uh, if, as we open God's Word and as we get into it, let's ask God's Spirit to be with us. Father in heaven, today we'll have the Master Jesus speaking to us through your Word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will find an entrance into each heart here today. Jesus wants us to live the fullness of life, the abundant life, the victorious life. So, Lord, may we understand a little bit better today this topic of anxiety, anxious care, being preoccupied with the things of this world and not the things of eternity. Mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, just before we, as we get started here, give me some things that we get worried about. We have some young people right here. Adults, tell me what young people get anxious about. School, grades, friends, boyfriends. What about how they look? Body image, right? Could be drugs, pimples, yes. All right, young people, tell me what adults get anxious about. Work, wrecking the car. This is supposed to be the young people now speaking. Larry doesn't quite qualify. I'm sorry, Larry, to break the news. But you're correct what you say, the car, that's for sure. Young, young people, family, what about jobs? Paychecks, food on the table. There are many things that you and I get concerned with. And today we're going to look at this passage in Matthew 6, which when it says the word worry, and of course we'll have different translations here today, I want you to think about anxiety. I want you to think about anxious care. I want you to think about being overly preoccupied with some of these things not talking about concerns that come up, which we all have. 
It's talking about this worry being such a force and such a power that it grips you and it controls you and it chokes you. That's the way to think of it. All right, Matthew chapter, what chapter did I say? Chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up at verse 25. I'm always interested why Jesus selects some of these topics. Is it because his disciples were very worried? Is it because it was too many people in that community that were worried? Is it just a common concern of humanity? He says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, now so therefore, therefore is a summary word. So maybe we can link it with verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, in this translation, it says money. You cannot serve God and things. That's really, I think, what it's getting at, and that fits in quite well with the next few verses. Therefore, I tell you, do not, what? Do not worry. This is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not worry about your life. And then he mentions some specifics. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? rhetorical question, it's kind of obvious that we're going to say yes. We should say yes, but when you see society, there's a huge amount, billions of dollars put into fashion. These models that, that walk the, uh, what's it called? The runway? I thought that was airplanes. The catwalk? Is that, is that the correct term? You ever heard that term? No, I'm not sure. But whatever they walk, they get a lot of money for doing it. And they keep themselves, almost starve themselves, some of them, to just look right according to what some people that employ them want. Huge amounts of... Now, I don't know if there's that many people in this room that are so preoccupied with food though I don't know. We have an obese nation, do we not? We've just heard a story about junk food, the perils of junk food. I suppose if we were a society that was living more on the edge and maybe didn't know where our next meal was coming from, then we would be pretty preoccupied with food. I just read a story about some midgets in Auschwitz concentration camp. And uh, Dr. Mengele, how favored they were that they were allowed to live. And he would pour bo boiling water in their ears. Isn't that a strange thing for an educated man to do? 
but you can see the wickedness of the human heart. And then he'd follow it up with cold water in the ears. And these, even though these gypsies were on this, essentially almost a starvation diet, a really, really basic little bit of watery soup and maybe a piece of bread, they at least lived. But to be in a place like that, and we should all, should almost be our Christian duty to read that kind of literature and see man's inhumanity to man. At least once a year, we should do that just to see how low we can fall without God and Jesus Christ in our lives. But if you're in a place like that, you don't know, you certainly would have a lot of anxiety about your next meal, whether you're even going to live. Most of us don't know too much about that kind of worry and concern, but some people, I suppose, do. There are a lot of people in this world that are living on the edge. So maybe for those people that these words would be more powerful, more shocking. Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air, takes us to nature by way of illustration. They do not sow or reap or store away in bonds, and yet your heavenly Father abandons them. What does it say? Your heavenly Father does what? He feeds them. He cares for them. Now, you know, if you know anything about birds, when I drive the freeway, I see lots of birds. I see some birds. I saw some birds this morning that if they can be in, in a group together, whatever that group is called, and one will suddenly make a turn, and it's like a hundred others turn right with it. Amazing. How can they do that? Even Michael Jordan couldn't do that. And then I see others with long white necks just look so regal just the way that they just sit there. And then I see a lot of like hawks. Did you ever see those on, on telephone poles? Or, and they're just looking all the time. What's moving in the fields? They have to get their own food right? God does not drop down the manna from heaven for those birds, right? But he has given them the ability so that they can find the food and be nourished and sustained. And man is the same. Mankind is the same. God expects us to sow the seed for the farmer to sow his crops or whatever you grow in your backyard but he sends the increase. He lets those things germinate. He sends the rain, the sun, whatever they need. The point here is that God is using, Jesus is using something like birds to illustrate God's care, God's watch care over them. And of course, you know where it's going to lead to. If he so takes care of the birds in this way, how much more you, who are much more valuable than birds. And that's exactly what he says uh, when he says, look at the birds of the air, they do not sow, reap, or store away in bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you more valuable than them? No, we're not so sure about that one. 
I thought that would have got a strong amen. And it got a weak amen. What should we do about that, Uriel? Do we need to come to prayer meeting where we deal with, or what, Friday night the ladies are dealing with self-worth and self-image? We should all have good self-worth and good self-image if we know the value that God places upon us. And, and those of us that were here at 9.30, weren't we studying that this morning? God, our creator, he creates this universe, this world, mankind, us. And he also redeems. Isn't that hinting pretty strongly that we're valuable? If you want to believe in a theory, because that's all it is, that tells you that you are the product of chance. It's pretty much an accident that you hear. In fact, you might have more in common with the slime pit than anything else. Where's the appeal there? I've never understood that. Have you? Theory of evolution. Is it more attractive, more appealing? than to know that you came from the hand of the Almighty God. And the same God that created you is the same God that redeemed you is the same God that will take care of you. So that's what we're talking about this morning. We're, we're talking, we're leading up to putting our trust and our faith so much in God that no matter what our circumstances are like, we are not going to be overly anxious so that we wear ourselves down. This worry and anxiety, as I hinted right in the introduction, is a powerful force. It can literally get a grip of some people. It can ruin their present and take away from their future. Some people have put it this way. Worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. There you go, Jesse. They can put that right on our board outside. Worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. To worry about what we cannot help is useless. To worry about what we can help is stupid. Every evening I turn my worries over to God because He is going to be up all night anyway. That's good. Here's one I've shared with you before. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Have you ever seen a bird with anxiety? I don't know. Let's not go there. <laughs> Jesus says, not only are you not more valuable than they, and we should respond, yes, we are valuable by virtue of creation and redemption. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour, this translation, a single hour to his life, in some translation, can add to their height. 
And the, the concept here is that worry can't extend your life in any way, shape, or form. You might want to live six months longer, and you might do everything you can to take care of yourself so that you can live longer. And of course, to Seventh-day Adventists, that's quite an important thing. And there are even programs that are produced on communities in Loma Linda, right? And they put it in the movies about how these people live longer than most Americans. But we can do all of that. But when the day comes that we ought to lay our lives down, whether we worry and get anxious about it will change nothing. So Jesus is essentially saying, just don't go there. Don't allow your mind to get pre so preoccupied with food, clothing, extending of life, or whatever it is. It really doesn't matter what it is. Jesus is just giving us a few examples. Just do not allow your mind to go there. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? So he's used the illustration of birds. He's used the illustration of growth. Now he's using the illustration of wildflowers, or the, here it says the lilies of the field. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now that's a pretty amazing statement, because if you go through the Bible and you say, well, what was the pinnacle? God said he would bless these people so much, and we dealt with that a few weeks ago when we went through the book of Deuteronomy, these tremendous blessings if God's people would be faithful. And most would say it's either in the reign of David or in the reign of Solomon when that was probably the best picture that we can get of God blessing the king and the nation. Now, we know there's a lot of problems in the time of David and Solomon, but comparatively speaking, that was the crown right there. And yet Jesus says one flower is more glorious than the whole reign of Solomon. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, has just a very brief lifespan, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of what? Little faith. We can't jump over that. O ye of little faith. I don't know how much faith you have and how much faith I have. And I suppose that's why God puts us through trials and allows temptations to come our way to, to test us, to strengthen us, hopefully, as we go through that experience. One of the men that's always impressed me in a big way is a man called George Mueller. Because Mueller demonstrates faith in action. Now, if you talk with Christians about faith, they have a pretty narrow concept of what it is. I just need enough faith to get me through those pearly gates. I need enough faith to get saved. And of course, the Bible, the New Testament, talks a lot 
about saving faith. But Jesus has got a much broader concept than what we normally think of as faith. Jesus isn't just saying, well, trust in me, have faith in me so that you get saved. But he's saying, trust in me, have faith in me for all the situations in your life. Everything that comes your way. Suddenly you don't have a car. Suddenly you lose a loved one. Been married for 50 years and then suddenly they're gone. Quickly, without any warning, they're just not here anymore. Suddenly you have a diagnosis of, of some cancer or some sickness in your body. You suddenly lose a job. Your spouse says they don't love you anymore, they want to walk. There are many, many, many situations that certainly test us, right? And Mueller demonstrates faith in action, not just as a, not just as a definition, not just a biblical text, as important as they are but how it affects every area of your life. He and his bride dedicated their lives to housing orphans. Cicel is going, my wife is going to Cambodia in a few days. In Cambodia, they have a Seventh-day Adventist from Australia that have an orphanage. So she's gonna try and visit that orphanage. It's quite close to where she'll be working with this medical team. So Mueller and his wife dedicated themselves to housing orphans. So I assume the Lord laid that burden upon their heart. There's a need, there's a great need. These children are on the streets, gather them together. So they agreed to depend completely on God as a demonstration of the power of prayer. So they adopted the following policy from which they never deviated. They would never solicit money or reveal any need. They would never incur debt. They would never publicize any donation received. Whatever time they would otherwise have spent soliciting donations would be spent instead in prayer, asking God for what was needed. To make the demonstration more convincing, they gave away everything they owned. And George began working without pay at a local mission. Immediately, money to start an orphanage began to come in. Within six months, they had two buildings and eventually built five more debt-free. They had 110 helpers and provided a home for 2,050 orphans. All in response to the prayers of faith. Now, I don't know if God is calling you and I to do something like that, but at least that's there in Christian history to show us what is possible. Another man that's very impressive, Hudson Taylor, a pioneer of the modern remissionary movement, find, founded the China Island Mission at a time when virtually the entire interior of that nation had no Christian witness, so he went into a heathen, pagan environment. Taylor's co-workers appreciated the freshness and the vitality of his faith, and it was often tested. Taylor depended on his Lord to supply the needs of his rapidly expanding mission. 
On one occasion, Taylor was expecting the usual remittance from his supporters in England uh, in the month of October, and when he opened the mail, he found only 97 pounds. Seven or 800 pounds was needed just for one month. There were over 70 stations with 80 or 90 missionaries and their families to feed and to clothe, not to mention 100 Chinese helpers, all depending on Taylor for their sustenance. The gap between 97 pounds and 700 or 800 pounds, that's a lot. The mission faced an emergency. But instead of panicking and sending out pleas for help, Taylor, in characteristic fashion, took the matter to his God. I closed the envelope again, and seeking my room, I knelt down and I spread the letter before the Lord, asking him what was to be done with less than 97 pounds. Taylor then shared the need with the other workers at the mission, and they unitedly looked to God to come to their aid. The response was quick and sure. Soon the answers began to come, he wrote, kind gifts from local friends who little knew the peculiar value of their donations and help in other ways until the needs of the month were all met without our having been burdened with anxious thoughts even for an hour. Taylor's practice of stretching his faith through total dependence on God was rewarded. We had similar experiences in November and again in December, and on each occasion, after spreading the letter before the Lord and leaving the burden with Him, we were helped. For Hudson Taylor, faith in his God was a continual adventure. Is that how your relationship with God, would you define it that way? A continual adventure? By stretching out to meet the desperate needs of others, he had the joy of seeing his own needs providentially filled. And he said this, how many estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail in the little they attempt? All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His God being with them. What does Jesus says? O ye of little faith, is he talking to his disciples here? Do you remember one time they were in a boat? And I've actually been on that lake. We won't look at the text. Most of you know it by memory, the story. It's a good-sized lake, big lake. And when certain winds blow, those waves can get pretty big. And so the disciples are with Jesus in the boat. They're going across the lake. Everything's fine, and then it suddenly turns. The weather turns. Jesus, where is he? What is he doing? He's not biting his nails. He's sleeping. And the disciples must have thought when those waves got big and that wind got strong, how can he sleep through this? And one of them appealed to him and said, Lord, don't, aren't you concerned? Let me tell you, Jesus had total concern for those disciples. They were the apple of his eye. He was going to die for them on the cross, just as he died for you. 
He loved them with an everlasting love from eternity. And Jesus said to them, O ye of little faith. And he spoke, and the storm went away. What a powerful lesson for those disciples to learn. They had many other lessons to learn. Do you remember the experience with Martha and Mary? Jesus' friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus provided a place for Jesus to relax, to be with friends that he could talk freely with. So a meal, a fellowship meal is being prepared right now Oh, my watch is over here. Right now, for Jesus in the story and also in our kitchen. And Martha went into panic mode. So ladies, if you're the one that prepares the food in your household, or men, if you're the one, you can probably relate to this. Her blood pressure went through the roof. She sees, especially when she saw Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus' stuff. So her, her, her blood pressure was climbing then, but when she saw Mary, it went through the roof. And she, she felt so strongly about it. She said, Jesus, do you not care? That Mary, my sister, who's supposed to be helping, is just sitting there. And what did Jesus say? Now, we shouldn't conclude that Jesus was not sympathetic to Martha. He was very, very grateful that somebody was taking charge, was getting things done, and hopefully they had a good meal out of it. And Martha didn't burn the cake or whatever they had. But he says, Mary has chosen the best thing. And all of us in life are going to have to figure out, don't we sometimes do that in these health lectures that we have? Good, better, best. What is the best thing? What is the most important thing to God and to Jesus? Isn't, is it not to learn about the principles of his kingdom, to learn about truth, and then, of course, to put it into practice? That's very important in our sermon this morning. I think it was a big lesson for Martha there. She was just worried and worried, and Jesus, with all the love in his voice, says, Martha, you're just worrying about these temporal things. Mary is focusing on the things of eternity. Anyway, verse 30 says, Oh, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. That's interesting. So there are two ways to react. There is the pagan way, and there is the spiritual Christ way, if that's a good way of putting it. Two different reactions. Pagans, heathens, those that don't have a living relationship with God, food, clothing, the things of this world are going to take precedent. 
seems like common sense, doesn't it? After all, that's how it was with you and I before we came to Christ, right? We need to remember that. But when you come to Christ, he renews your mind. He takes control of your mind. Things that you used to like, you dislike, possibly. Things that you despise, you start to love. So we don't want to behave like pagans and heathens by worrying about the stuff of this life. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do we believe that? Does he sometimes seem so distant? You wonder whether he really cares? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and what will happen to all this other stuff? It'll just go away? You can live in your little monastery, seeking God with all your heart. Is that what it means? What does it say? All these things, everything that we need, you can list them. What do you need? You need a roof over your head. You need food on the table. All of these things will be given to you, which fits in exactly with what we talked about the Israelites a few weeks ago. Choose life. It's a no-brainer. It's the only way that works. You get the blessings in this life and the blessings of the future life. You cannot go wrong if you make the right choice. See ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. What a great place to end a sermon. Should I end it right there, Jim? I hear a no in the corner here. One more verse, one more text that we wonder why it was even added. It seems such a great note to end on. I can't think of a better text to preach on. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you. But then he adds, therefore, summarizing again, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In Desire of Ages, it has this statement, worry is blind, it cannot discern the future, but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us, of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and the honor of God supreme, so search your hearts here, ask yourself whether you're doing that, will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. Helen Steiner Rice put it this way, whenever I am troubled and lost in deep despair, I bundle all my troubles up and I go to God in prayer. I tell him I am heartsick and lost and lonely too, 
and that I am deeply burdened and don't know what to do. But I know he stilled the tempest, and he calmed the angry sea, and I humbly ask if in his love he'll do the same for me. And then I just keep quiet and think on thoughts of peace. And as I abide in stillness, my restless murmurings cease. Well, that was just the introduction. I'm going to bring some principles out in just a few minutes. Number one, as I've said before, or hinted, the Sermon on the Mount is really written to followers of God and Christ, not for pagans. Don't try and apply all these principles right across the board in somebody's life who doesn't believe in God. Two, worry and failure, worry and failure is to, to grasp and to apply our faith. What I mean by that is there are tremendous promises in Scripture. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. That's pretty clear, don't you think? Be anxious. This is a man that's facing execution. Be anxious for nothing. Bring all of your concerns to God in prayer, and God will bring peace to your heart or words to that effect. Come unto me, all you that are burdened and what? Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. You shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Psalms 23, 1, about the good shepherd shall provide all that we need. And then there's one in 1 Peter 5, 7, which I like very much. Let me quickly turn to that right at the back of your Bibles. 1 Peter, what chapter? 5, 7. These are the kind of texts that you need to memorize. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. I was pastoring in one of the most picturesque places you're ever going to imagine. It's a place called Polsbo in Washington State. We lived in a little place called Silverdale, not too far away, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church was right there in Polsbo. Polsbo is, um, has a Norwegian influence. You can literally drive them through the main street there, and instead of seeing chemist or pharmacist, they'll have something like Apotec which is the Norwegian word for, for that. So I had this old Norwegian influence there. Sissel felt right at home there, beautiful place. We had a church member that was a young lady, family, had a family, and she was absolutely distraught over a family situation. So I listened, and I gave my two pennies worth for, for what it was, was worth. But then I felt impressed to share that text from 1 Peter. And you've never seen the Word of God break through in someone's life in such a powerful, powerful way. And somehow that text, be anxious for nothing, He cares for you, this kind of thought. This is what I'd encourage you 
to have in your head or have in your Bible so you can really help people. It just really was, was like the, the burden just rolled right off her shoulder. To me, it was like a supernatural phenomena. It was just truly amazing to see the Word of God. She just bottled it up. She bottled it up. She was trying to share some of her frustration with me, and then God just took over when the Word of God was shared. The bottom line is this, folks. I have other principles, but I'm not going to share the times up. We have to cast all our cares upon Him not just say we do it, but actually practically do it. Learn how to do it. It's a learned, learned experience for all of us. We're all growing in our faith. Faith can never be static. It's either diminishing or it's growing. And God will put us through situations in life. He'll allow them to happen so that faith can grow. And we can be strong people of faith so that we're in the midst of the storm like the disciples were. We will not be anxious we will not be worrying about the things of this world because we have a heavenly Father who's not distance off into the millions of light years out into this universe, but He's right there with us, right there with us, to hold our hand, to put His arm around us, to encourage us. I've always wondered, well, I wondered for many years until I finally understood it, why does Ellen White always seem to say, Go to God with your problems. It's so different than what you hear today, where we go to man, our fellow man, with our problems. And I'm not saying that there can't be some value in that, but if you go to God, who loved you through Jesus Christ on the cross, and you know He always has your very best interests at heart, you really cannot go wrong. So worry, anxiety being overly concerned about the things of this world, let's get that out of the window, right? I don't care what it is. All of our situations are different, but we all have these things that can grip us and actually choke us if we're not careful. Jesus even used parables to talk about the dangers, the, 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 the cares of this world just choked out any trust in God that that person might have. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We can look to him and we can see a person that was totally trusting in you in all given situations. And Lord, he was tested in a way that we will never be tested. But Lord, if some of us should live down the road, there will be great testing. Maybe our property will be taken away. Maybe people will want to hurt us. It will seem that the whole world is against us because of these truths that we believe. And Lord, I pray that in the relatively easy times that we have now, that we will be people of mature, strong faith, so that when the great test comes, we will be able to stand in Christ Jesus. This is our prayer in His name. Amen. Amen.